these words from the Gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it is good to be with you all. I am streaming live from Berlin, Germany. I have been working with Portsmouth Union for um, the past couple of years. And so my contract is actually up at the end of March. So I will no longer be on staff after this week at Portsmouth, but I am still a part of you. You all are my charge in the United Methodist world. And it has been my honor to serve in, in this capacity in pastoral care in walking with you all through the pandemic and through transition and through ups and downs. And it has just been a really wonderful journey for me as being a part of you. And I will continue to be a part of you. You all are my people. I will continue to appear when I can and report to you all and be present to you all. And so I look forward to continuing that journey. Now on to our task at hand. Today, while Pastor Sherry is on leave working diligently uh, on her doctorate, I get the great honor of being streamed in. So we are in Zoom and it's reflected to me that you are there and we are live streaming and we are podcasting and (laughs) we are doing all the things to stay connected. And I would say this is the upside of being in technology now and we figured out how to do this. This morning, we continue on in our theme of the season of preparation, and Pastor Sherry has been talking with us about these different powers that we gain from the season of Lent, the season of preparation and reconciliation and repentance and this journey with Jesus towards the cross. She's talked about all sorts of explorations of what it means to really embrace this season. So this morning, we continue on with this power of transfiguration. We get to hear Mark's version of this story. There are three versions of this story in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a version of the transfiguration. And in fact, I got to preach this particular story from Luke just a couple of weeks ago. It's traditionally the last Sunday before we begin Lent that we preach the transfiguration. And so it's a very different experience to explore the story again, smack dab in the middle of Lent. We have been together for three Sundays in Lent, 
And we will be together for three more Sundays of Lent before we rejoice in Easter and we journey to the cross. And so this is a pivot point. It is for the Gospel of Mark as well. In fact, it is directly in the center, in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. And Mark was the first of the three Gospels written. So it's the earliest account, and Matthew and Luke uh, glean from this account and add to it. There's a lot of things the same in the three Gospels, which tells us that this story probably mostly happened the way it was accounted to us. But Mark is the first one to bring us this story. And eight chapters before, the Gospel of Mark outlines mainly healings that Jesus does in the beginning of his ministry. So that first eight chapters is Jesus calling into ministry, mostly healings and liberation preaching, like how we can be free. And then we have this episode, and then there will be eight chapters, almost exactly, of Jesus' descent into Jerusalem towards death. And then finally, the empty tomb. Mark has a very different way of bringing up resurrection. And so we find ourselves in this pivot point, this fulcrum of the gospel of Mark, in which after all of this work that Jesus has been doing and all of this healing and this hands-on work, he takes his three best friends, his three closest disciples up to the mountain. This happens in all three gospels. In fact, it's a slight rise. We think it might be a mountain called Heron, but we're not quite sure. And it's after teachings in all three of the gospels. It's many days after Jesus first gives us a glimpse into what will be his death, but it's also after a lot of hard work. And so Jesus takes his three best friends to have a moment of prayer. And so if you can imagine yourself as Peter or James or John, and you've been working really hard and you're winding your way up to the mountain to just have a moment of rest, this is where we find this particular story. But as they close their eyes and focus on what they've been doing and who they've been following, there's this light that emanates from somewhere. And I can almost imagine them like barely opening their eyes to see Jesus before them, but in a totally different light. So as if this veil has been lifted and beside him is Elijah and Moses. This happens in all three gospels as well who we clearly can see as kind of a representation of the law and the prophets, these two monumental heroes of the faith that would have been told to them over and over again, stories told to them to represent their people and these incidences with God. Moses came face to face with God on the mountain to bring the law of the people of freedom. And Elijah came face to face with God in order to give prophecy to the people of how to be the people of God. And here is Jesus, the eminent being of all of this swirling around them. And the voice of God says, listen to him. It's like, we have gone beyond law and prophets. We don't know how to make sense of this. And in fact, I would think it'd be a relief for them to hear Jesus say, don't tell anyone. For Mark, this is a way that Jesus' messianic message comes forth out of the shadows into the light. And so it's this constant secret that's being revealed. For the other gospels, that's something different for their audience. But for Mark, it's this giving of the people little by little. And so by Peter, James, and John knowing this message and being told to hold it to themselves, I would almost think it's a relief. Because how do we make sense of what we see before us 
in the middle of light and transformation and visions and heroes and something we just can't put together. We as the current followers have the beauty of hindsight, but just to put ourselves in this place with this cloud of knowing around us. And it makes me think that perhaps as we land in the middle of Lent, perhaps it's not such a bad place to kind of wander into that cloud. Now we're told that the disciples are fairly scared at this cloud. I can understand that. It seems unreasonable to not be maybe a little frightened of what's coming to them on the mountain. But I would invite us in the middle of Lent, maybe we need a moment to lean into the cloud because in the middle of the cloud gives us that power of transfiguration. When we admit that we don't quite know what's going on, it allows us to open ourselves up to what might be. Part of Lent is to admit that we don't really know what all is happening or what will be. We find ourselves kind of in the middle of the mess. Oftentimes it's in the middle of that mess of the cloud that we can admit that the scary is happening, but sometimes the holy happens right after the scary, right after the cloud, right after the descent into the next part of the journey. So I'm actually loving exploring this story in the middle of Lent rather than in the beginning, because instead of kicking off our journey, it allows us to sit in the middle of the mess, in the middle of Lent, in the middle of confusion, in the middle of not quite knowing what's going on. And it allows us to see the power in that. And then we get to see how we transform. Or maybe we get to question how we transform, or maybe we question whatever that transformation is and where we have seen it before. It gives us the power to continue on in this journey because we've had a moment of rest and prayer, a visionary life in God, and then allowing ourselves to rest into that before we continue down that mountain. And it allows us to pay attention to what's around us in a totally different light. Now, often this is preached that Peter says the wrong thing, like let's make a dwelling, but I can understand wanting to stay there. But in Lent, we have to continue to press on. And so I've been thinking a lot about that power of transformation in kind of everyday life. Like when have I leaned into the cloud of unknowing, leaned into the cloud of what's scary in order to discover the holy? And I've come to realize that transformation is happening every day and with everyday things and everyday beings in this journey. The first thing that came to mind in my mind was an experience when my eldest niece was born. She's now six years old, almost seven. And I remember I had been with my sister-in-law the day before uh, Maeva, my niece's birth, all day long because it was a long, arduous labor process. And so I was putting in like stupid movies just to like distract my sister-in-law. And we were singing along to musicals and it was just, it was this journey and it was scary and it was messy. And then when it was happening, it happened at the end quickly. And so we all came back the next day after Maeva was born, as my sister-in-law was healing. And I was handed this little bundle of a person that looks kind of like me. And I remember looking at her and thinking this awe and wonder, but also like, what is going to happen? And she started to kind of cry after I had held her for a little while. And I whispered in her ear, something that is just for us. 
And then she was kind of fussy. And then eventually I had to hand her back to someone and I handed her to her daddy, my brother, the first of us in the four to have children. And I watched before my eyes, my brother become daddy. And there was power in that transfiguration. My brother transformed in front of my eyes and it became holy. I'm thinking of another time in which I was in a not so great place in my life and trying to discover how to heal in the midst of a really hard placement um, in a church placement in a really hard relationship. And I went to the island of Iona, which is this small island off the coast of Scotland. And there, there is a community, a worshiping community that gathers. And I went to study with one of my mentors, John Philip Newell, and he led us through a meditation. And I, you know, throughout the week, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the middle of the week before we had a pilgrimage across the island, I was just not feeling right. And I was, I was angry with people. And I was like, this is something is happening. And we went through a meditation. And I was grumpy about it because I didn't want to be there. And I went outside to sit on a bench and say, well, this is my place for meditation and I'm doing it correctly. And then I sat there and, and my teacher came and just sat next to me in presence and I completely started weeping. And the moment transformed what was scary and what was fearful and what was doubtful turned into a moment of healing. In the middle of the mess, transfiguration gave power to continue on in my journey. Or I think about my youngest brother who has recently in the past couple, couple of years discovered his call to be a special education teacher in high school and watching him transform before my eyes when he found this as his calling, power of transformation. In the middle of his discernment, he found his call, gave him power to continue on to work on his master's and be an incredible educator that he is now. There is something about transfiguration in the middle of leaning into a cloud that we're a little bit scared of and we don't really know about, but we're willing to chance an encounter with God that changes us and transforms us and makes it a thin space. One of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, says this about the transfiguration. Even with us, something like this happens once in a while, and he means transfiguration. The face of a man walking his child in the park, of a woman picking peas in the garden, of sometimes even the unlikeliest person listening to a concert, say, or standing barefoot in the sand watching the waves roll in, or just having a beer at a Saturday baseball game in July. Every once and so often, something so touching, so incandescent, so alive transfigures the human face that is almost beyond bearing. And in writing this, it's this encounter with God that changes us. It makes our face shining into dazzling white when we realize this place of holy. And in the midst of our Lenten season, as we continue to prepare and be present, it almost seems like the right thing to talk about this moment in the middle, when we're getting tired and when it seems like a really long journey and we want it to be spring so fully and so desperately, this is the time when we need to go up the mountain with Jesus to rest and be ready for the journey to come. So may it be, I invite you to lean into the cloud, in, cloud during this time. I invite you to 
to lean into the messy and the scary because we know holy comes after those spaces and moments that we are transformed. I invite you to look for places and people that are transformed before your very eyes in the most normal ways possible. And yet something about this moment changes what it is to encounter God in them, whether that be walking down the street, meeting with a friend, finding a piece of yourself that is divine and good and holy. Or maybe it's that piece of you that is ready for the rest of the Lenten season to die so that you might come to life in a new way, that you might transform, that you might feel the power that God is calling us to this holy season. Let us pray. Gracious and loving one, you have given us this season to walk with each other, to walk in holy and messy and scary and loving ways. You have called to us to come up to the mountain with you and to be prepared to pray and be open to the possibility of what you might be telling us today. We might get scared and offer up a dwelling place for you when we know that you are still on a journey, that we have a lot of work to do this season, that we have to head into Jerusalem soon and prepare ourselves for something we don't quite understand. So even when we reach for something that we know, remind us that we are not done, that we will have to go back down the mountain to continue this journey, but you have prepared us well. You have confused us enough to open us up in new ways, and you have made the veil between heaven and earth just a little bit thinner so that we might feel your presence so near. And when we forget, you will tell us again, listen to him, follow where Jesus might lead us, continuously come back to him. Like he is your beloved and we are your beloved that we might follow as disciples. In your holy name we pray, amen.